This is the Police Canine Training Podcast with Jeff Meyer. Join us for each episode to get real-world advice from canine professionals who have experience on the street. Each episode will focus on up-to-date information that you can use on the street. Spend about 30 minutes with us each week as part of your training day. Our goal at Police Canine Training is to make every canine team be the best they can be. Welcome to the Police Canine Training Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have uh, Michael Nesbeth, and uh, Michael's real well-known. He's out on social media a lot, and if you've had the pleasure to uh, meet him, he's a, he's a fun guy to talk to, and uh, even better, it's uh, really fun to watch Michael work a dog. He's uh, definitely one of the best decoys on the planet. Um, so if you get a chance, you're at a seminar, he's there, whatever, make sure you get your dog out of the car if you have a dog, and if not, don't. Uh, at least go watch what he does with dogs. So it's, uh, I, he was here in Colorado and I've seen him online, but, uh, seen him in person. I got to watch him work quite a few dogs. And, uh, there's, there's certain people that, uh, between knowledge about dogs and athletic ability and just a God given talent that put it all together. And, uh, you know, I've seen, seen some over the years and Michael's definitely up there in the, the top of those types of people. So I wanted to get him on here today and just kind of talk about his background, how he ended up, uh, training i think he does all kinds of dogs but specifically of course police dogs and then you know just kind of where where he gets some of his information and and how he likes to to manipulate the drives of a dog while he's decoying and that type of stuff so with that uh, michael how are you today i'm doing good man thank you for uh having me on and that was a. Uh... Uh, I feel like you you put pressure on me for the rest of my life. <laughs> one of the top top in the world. Holy moly! Yeah, I would. I would anybody who knows me knows I, I don't say uh, stuff I don't mean. But you know, I mean, certain people have a an ability to, and I and you know, I'll, I'll get into it with you. But it's not just like I said, it's not just an athletic ability. You have to understand dogs and and be able to read them and time it and everything else. So, uh, how did how did you yeah. get into dogs to begin with? Oh man, I've I've always been into dogs. Like as a kid, you know, probably a similar story to to most people. I think like I've, I've wanted dogs when I was younger. My dad uh, was not really a big fan of dogs, uh, so I didn't get it get my my own dog until I was or my family dog, I should say, until I was probably around like twelve at the age where I could kind of take care of it, yeah. take it out to party and and so forth. Um, and you know, I, I've just always had kind of a love for the animals. Um, I. I didn't know that dog training uh, was a career or anything that was even available, um, <laughs> particularly. So uh, I kind of I, I always tell people it's, it's like it's like happen chance how I just sure. ended up where I'm at right now, and it and you know the stars aligned. If you believe in a higher power, I think that 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 was the case, and kind of just pushed me here. I, I um, you know I grew up with these dogs, uh, Springer Spaniels to begin with. Um, I. I uh, was very interested in, like every kid, you know, I went, I went to um, the zoo one day or I guess like a marine land or something. And I, I seen dolphins and I was like, oh, wow, like that's a job and people get paid to train. So I was like, oh, I want to be a marine biologist. Um, that, that ended up not panning out fully. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, I ended up going to school for psychology um, I thought that, you know, that was something that I wanted to uh, kind of get into. I graduated a couple of degrees in, uh, in this like social science field. Sure. Um, I went into to counseling um, all, all the while. I'm, I was kind of doing dogs as a hobby on the side, working as like a, a training decoy um, for like a French ring club. 
And then, you know, push came to shove. I realized, you know, about a year into counseling that this was not for me um, and came home one day and uh, told my, my wife uh, that hey, I was going to train dogs for a living. So um, <laughs> I'm sure she was very excited forward. about that. <laughs> Oh yeah, she she was she was pumped. She was like, it was uh, to be honest with you, it was about only a day that she was like, "What the hell are you thinking?" And then she she jumped right on board. So oh, that's good. Helped. That's good. Now you did you grow up? I know you're in Canada now. Did you grow up in Canada? Yeah, I, I grew up in Canada. I, I moved to uh, Florida uh, in 2006, um, and I lived in Florida for probably I want to say about eight to nine years. Um, and, and then I moved back up. I'm in Canada now. So was the beginning when you decided to start uh, working dogs? Were you in Florida or in Canada? Uh, actually, like decoying, putting on a bite suit, that was in Florida. Okay. Was in Florida. Yep. And there's a lot of police dogs down in Florida, so it probably probably was an easy way to kind of start meeting meeting yeah, some handlers. Absolutely. You know, I I, um, I was with that French Ring Club uh, in Florida, and then some of the, the handlers for the French Ring Club were also um, handlers for a local PD. Um, so they would bring out all their patrol dogs sometimes, and they'll be working off on the side. Um, and I'm like, oh, wow, that looks pretty interesting over there. You know, like they're yeah, doing different yeah. things every week. It's something new. And I kind of weaseled my way over that way. And yeah, I was, I was a younger guy out there. Um, so, you know, by default, I got put in the suit and uh, I just loved it, you know. It just really took to it, and was kind of just grew from there. Sure, and I'm I'm sure they they liked having a a competent decoy that they could abuse a lot. So it's always yeah. I, I was I was working on the competence at that point. So. <laughs> yeah, but you know, will, how about a willing decoy? There is there is that too. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So then from uh, from there, did you start training more with police dogs, or just stay with the sport world for a while? Yeah. Um... Probably like so. I, I ended up doing um, an apprenticeship just with a, a pet dog trainer. Um, she also was raising police dogs um, to sell at the time, but it was kind of like a side thing for her. Uh-huh. Um, we, so I, I got even more kind of dove into that. Um, did a lot of pet dog stuff, and then was just available at any time. Anyone wanted to do bite work with with their dog, um, patrol guys, or just sport people. Whatever. I'll just I'll put the suit on and wear it all day. Um, at any time you call me in the middle of the night, I'll come out and do it. So yeah. I kind of like just naturally kind of built relationships from there. Um, and then started, be- got to join in with, you know, different training groups, different times and kind of just organically grew. And when you were doing this decoy and it's specifically like for these departments and stuff, were they also helping you, uh, you know, like learn dogs or was some of it just trial and error on your part or kind of a combination or did you have some mentors down there that were, taking you aside and teaching you some dog psychology and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was like a combination of, of, you know, doing, doing that apprenticeship program uh, that for the just pet dog training, um, as well as my, my background in psychology. Uh, and then the, the, doing the decoy stuff and, and the guys there walking me through things. Um, me getting to see like, hold on, like there's a lot of similarities, no matter what the discipline is that we're teaching dog, you know, behavior is behavior. Sure. So kind of being able to draw those parallels um, it really helped kind of up my, my decoy game, um, if you would say, because I was like, oh, this is, you know, teaching a sit or teaching a dog how to out or how to regrip on a bite. Um, it's, it's kind of they follow the same principles, you know. Sure. And at that point and even today, 
I have an opinion too. I'll tell you mine after I ask you the question. But do you think it's harder or easier to train a police dog over just somebody's pet that they bring into the the place to teach basic obedience? Yeah, I I, I think that they're. Uh, it, it's hard to say exactly. Um, I, I would say overall, it's probably harder to train some of these pet dogs because some of them um, lack in like motivation. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. Of them, you know, it's like, Hey, my, I want my dog to learn how to sit and down. Uh, but the dog is also yeah. afraid of its shadow. Yeah. So, like, you know, we have to, I, I, I make jokes with the police handlers all the time. I'm like, Hey, you guys have gotten like Ferraris from selection. Uh, and then you're just like, need to drive fast. Yeah. Well, they know how to do it, but yeah. training training a pet dog sometimes is like taking a a nineteen eighty eight Toyota <laughs> Camry and trying to put it on the racetrack. Yeah, and that's that's that was where I was going with that. Is that I I find it harder. Like I don't do pet dog training, but of course I have. You know, mm-hmm. trained played with dogs a little mm-hmm. bit. But I think that those dogs to me are harder. I think genetically we've we've uh, you know a lot of the the police dogs that you know they're selectively bred for their trainability so we get a dog that already has yeah. a, a willingness to do our desire and then you know so if you get a mm-hmm. pet dog that is just a you know a puppy mill dog that has no no good genetics to it at all and you're trying to to do something with it but i think i think Absolutely. that overall um you know i always tell handlers you you want to get a, be a good police dog trainer then find a few pets and train some pets on the side here and there and it definitely, yeah. I, I don't think it hurts your police dog training ability when you can, you know, train not some a, inbred not, cocker spaniel to do something. So, <laughs> yeah, not at all, man. I, I agree with you 100%. I say it all the time. I'm like, hey, training, uh, you know, you could just go get, you know, help your friends with five of their pet dogs. And that's all to, it's going to make you a better handler. It'll actually make you a better decoy. Um, it'll just make you understand behavior uh, so much better with so much more clarity. I agree. So now, how many years have you been basically a full-time dog trainer? Um, I, th- I, I want to say around 12 years now. And I've been just been dog training. So that's that's a lot of dogs, though, that, you know, if that you're doing it full-time, you're seeing dogs all the time. Have have you changed a lot of what you do from 12 years ago to today? The your your You know, any big changes that you've made? Yeah, I, th- I think I've, I've changed a lot in that I've been able to add um, tool. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like, none of the things that I do are, are you know, uh, techniques or things that I've created. Sure. Like, it's, it's all things that I've taken this piece from there and, uh, you know, another piece from where I would say I, I changed it in being able to have more tools in the toolbox yep. um, to, to reach for. Uh, I think that since very early on, like very early on, you know, 12 years ago when I started, um, I, I didn't know, you know, too much. Yeah. Um, and I, I, st- I still don't know it all. Um, and, uh, but being able to say, okay, you know, I, I kind of filter information that I get through, um, you know, Hey, does this theoretically make sense? Um, and yeah. if it does, I'm like, well, this is, a, this is a great tool. Maybe I won't use this technique, um, for the next hundred dogs that I work, but there may be a dog that uh, I want to, but, it has to kind of fit exactly. through like just the theoretical approach. It has to make sense. And then, yeah. So I, I think definitely just adopting more and more tools. Exactly. So you're always looking for, I mean, you're always learning and you're always looking for, for new techniques just to, to like you say, store in your toolbox. 
Absolutely. It's one, it's like the seminars that I, I get to do, you know, I'm, I'm grateful and blessed. I get to go out and, and do these seminars and travel the world. Uh, but I, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a ripoff because I also get to go to these seminars, help the teams that I'm working with, but they also help me develop. Like, I'm like, Oh wow, that's a really good idea. I didn't think of that. Oh so yeah. I should take that and I can do it at the next one. So yeah, absolutely. I, I feel the same way every time I, every time I teach a class, I leave there. I always leave there with you know, some idea or knowledge or something I didn't have before. And, and I, I feel fortunate. I think, uh, I think those of us, you know, that has been around for a long time, you know, either, either you start out that way, which I think I always have had that open mind or some people have to be closed mind for a while. And then they have an epiphany that, Hey, you know, there's a lot of easier ways to do things, but I definitely think yeah, always being open-minded and learning the new techniques is, is important. And I, I see a lot more of that. I don't see the closed mindedness that I saw, 25 and 30 years ago about there's only way one, one way to do it it seems like most people are you know between all the social media and these podcasts or whatever training uh, yeah. venues i think people understand that there's a lot of ways to to do things yeah i feel that, that's the, the blessing and the, and the curse of social media and the internet you know is uh before um people had to like really you have to push yourself and, and just go and, and meet these people. You were trapped by your geography. Uh, but now we have social media. You know, I could look at yeah. a trainer in Australia's work. Yeah. Um, there's there's really good stuff that comes with that. But, of course, there's also the negatives, you know. But sure. it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I think there's in the end, there's probably more good than bad on it, for sure. Absolutely. So I guess one of the things I'd like to maybe hone in on today is, I mean, obviously you have you, – you, every day you're working with dogs and uh you know you have a lot of different uh dogs you're working with in the seminars you do um they're pretty large seminars about 50 teams there with uh canines united i know you do several of those a year so it's it, i mean i'm not going out on a limb to say in every calendar year you're gonna have you know the ability to to personally work a couple hundred different police dogs yeah now, yep. when you when you get to do that, you know, and, and I like I think of it like when I do my e collar classes and stuff like that, I I get to see a lot of dogs like that, and there's always some kind of uh, commonalities in each class I do, and the ones I the classes I do are smaller than yours. I do eight to ten at a time, but there's always you know kind of a common theme, and I imagine when there's fifty dogs there, there's still a lot of things that you see whether you're doing you know the first class of the year or the last class of the year that you're seeing with these teams and stuff. What are some of those things that, that, that are so common that you see that you can kind of outline and maybe if they don't have the opportunity to come to like one of your seminars, you know, say if it's release work or whatever yeah. the, the problem is, what are some things guys can work on? Like, so I guess first off, you know, what, what do you see as, as common themes? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that there's a few, common problems um you know regardless of, of of where we go and where we do these seminars um one of one of the the biggest things that i think uh is i call it like a, a act a proactive dog versus a reactive dog yep. um a lot of the dogs are they sit and wait for the decoy or the suspect to kind of do the dance for them before they're ready to activate um before they're ready to, yeah. to make the decision um and so, so switching the mindset of uh, of that animal like i want the dog to be the one that does takes action first and then that activates the decoys behavior uh, i think that th there there's a lot of fallout that can come from it being the other way around do you think that's more of a genetic 
thing or a trained behavior? In my opinion, I think it's mainly a trained behavior. You know, like, and a lot of times that the that training is done before the the handlers even receive the dog. You know, yeah. um, we see videos online of, of bought in plenty of dogs from Europe um, where the dogs are on a back tie as puppies, and someone comes out and starts cracking a whip and then running around, and yeah, trying yeah. to like, you know, they're they're taking action and then that's making the dog react. Um, so, but I think naturally. Um, the dog is, is normal for the dog to be proactive. I think our training scars make the dogs reactive, if that makes any, any sense. It does, but I just want to go in a little deeper and it makes sense to me. And I also got to, to watch, explain it and do it. So I just want to make sure it's real clear to everybody. So I walk up into the, the training venue, you're there, you've never seen my dog before. And let's just say for the sake of argument, this dog is, you know, he's, genetically he's a good police dog you know anybody who selection mm-hmm. tests his dog is going to say no big holes in this yep. dog we like this dog what do you want to mm-hmm. see from that dog as i walk up and you're standing there in a bite suit doing nothing yeah i want to see like if he if he's under control and in obedience i'm okay with that but i, I want him to um when, once he's freed up from obedience and let's say that you're going to uh, with the handlers going to keep him posted um, i want them to be able to activate the dog on command uh, whatever fluffy watch yeah. them um and i want i want the dog to hit the end of that line um and be showing some type of forward active be, uh, behavior uh what happens is sometimes it gets disguised and we think the dogs are actually doing that because the decoy helps the dog mm-hmm. right like exactly uh, you walk in and they they say hey fluffy watch him and fluffy stands there looking crazy and then the decoy flinches or the yeah. decoy yeah. cracks a whip and yeah. then he starts barking i want yeah. I, d- I don't want that like it's very small and very nuanced, but I, I think it pays dividends in the future for those dogs if they really understand that they're responsible um, for making things happen. Well, I, I think so too. And I think, you know, like taking that, that same concept, like when I do a selection test, um, that's one of the things I'll do is, is almost everybody does a stakeout test, but it's yeah. amazing. And I'm sure you do the same thing is that a lot of these dogs have either, you know, usually a trained in timer to them that, you know, when you make some hard eye contact that after, you know, a few seconds or whatever, they're expecting you to flinch and then they'll start reacting. But even if yeah. I'll stare at them for a while and even if they react a little bit and I don't move and I keep staring at them, you know, I want them to show me that they're going to pick a fight. And it's pretty amazing yeah. just that you can stand there with no equipment and stare at a dog and, and see, you know, kind of see them work through all their timers that they've built into them through training. And Absolutely. And I, I think that's somewhat what you do at the beginning too, isn't it? You kind of wait him out a little bit. Yep, absolutely. And 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 I I even push it in, not not further, but it's different. Like we're also wearing the biggest bite cue to them ever. Like yeah. I have a big visible bite suit on, you know. Yeah. So if if they're struggling to be proactive in those moments when they know it smells like bite work, it yeah. looks like bite work. All of these things are the same. Um, and they're struggling to be the one to basically throw the first punch, Yeah. Uh, then, then there's some work that needs to be done. And yeah. there's some things that we need to clarify for, uh, for the dog because if they struggle like that, uh, we run into fallout when it, when it becomes, you know, a real-world deployment. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you see that and you see a dog that just is, I wouldn't say disinterested, but certainly not interested in, in picking the fight, if you will, um, what, what do you start doing with those types of dogs? And I know you see them a lot. 
Yeah. So, so first things first, like you said, I like that you led with the caveat, like, Hey, if, if the dog is the right dog for the job and it yeah. just maybe has some, some training scars. Right. Um, so first is that I would address, let me say is, does it, is this dog's response one of please get me out of here or is it, I don't really know what we're doing or I'm wait. do hurry up yeah. and do the dance for me so I can start barking. Right? So, yeah. So let's stop uh, right there real quick though. So we don't yep. get too far ahead. And I, and I see it too. It, and it's really difficult um, when you're in a new city, handle you don't know, people you don't know, and someone brings up a dog that unfortunately for them, and through no fault of their own, they were given a dog because it's usually not an experienced trainer or anything, brand new handle usually that somehow got a dog that really shouldn't be there. And it's mm-hmm. it's evident to experienced people very, very quickly. Um yeah. what do you do at that point? You know, and I'm talking about a dog that at that point, you know, you haven't cracked the whip, you haven't done anything and just you standing there. Um, maybe they're alert for a second and then we'll see them. They just start getting soft, uh, you know, in, the, in their, their yeah. eye contact, their body will, and uh, you know, they'll put their ears back. They'll start looking around, yeah. even tuck their tail. But even if they don't tuck their tail, once they start looking around, like, where can I go instead of being here? Yeah. It, to me, usually that's like, all right, genetically this dog's not ready. Where yeah. do you go yep. from, where do you, what do you do then? I mean, because you can't really just tell a handler, your dog sucks, next dog. You know, So we got to try yeah. to work with these teams. So what do you do on those? Yeah, so t- to be honest with you, uh, particularly in the seminar um, kind of venue, you know, and how we do, there's a bunch of people sitting around, uh, you know, I, I, I try and have a, a, a candid conversation usually in private with the yeah. handler yeah. I and mean, just say, Hey, this is, this is what's going on. This is what my yeah. opinion is on the dog. I could be wrong, but this is what my opinion is. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I try to not make it personal. It's, never, exactly. it's not a personal thing about you. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I let them know we, we've ran into times where, um, you know, through, through evaluation, uh, there have been dogs that this, you know, has come to be this, this isn't the, the dog for, for what we think it should be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and a lot of the times actually, you know, when we have those conversations, uh, most of the handlers know that, Yeah. you know, like they, they've, they've either had experiences on the road or they have, they, maybe they can't put their finger on it and say exactly what's going on, but they, they kind of have a feeling. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. very rare that it's that the handle has been like, no way this dog is an absolute yeah. specimen and he's perfect in every, um, so I try and have those conversations and then, and then I, I hate to just, you know, come into town for a weekend, a week, um, and then say, Hey, this dog is no good. Exactly. Um, get a new one and yeah. leave, you know? So I, I, I try and give guys actionable things. Uh, the first thing to me, if the dog doesn't have it, he doesn't have it, you know? So I'll, I'll try my best to say, Hey, how can we go about who do we need to talk to? Do we yeah. need to bring some admins in? Do yeah. we need to, how do, we, do you want me to write a letter? We can get some other opinions. Like yeah. how, how can we try and work this out for you? Yeah. Um, that's the first step, you know, um, after, after that, if, um, you know, push comes to shove, sometimes there's budgetary constraints yeah. or, or whatever it may be. Um, I'm, I'm just frank with the, the, the handler and I say, Hey, just if, if things get really bad for you and this dog or for you in, yeah. uh, in a deployment, um, don't count on the dog to yeah. do yeah. what the other dogs are going to do. And luckily, uh, I imagine that those extreme cases where you just know right off that this dog isn't it. Luckily, you probably don't. I mean, most of the dogs that, at least in my experience, 
most of them need some additional training, um, but not that many yeah. that are just, you know, absolute, you know, not ready for the exactly. job ever. Exactly. We're, we're talking about outliers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Outliers. Um, there are some that it's sim- it's as simple as like uh, the dogs need to be more familiar with this picture. They need to realize that, hey, they're responsible for, for taking action. Yeah. Right. The way yeah. that, that I deal with that is I just say, okay, if you're not going to activate and you're not going to uh, basically alert the decoy in, into activating or into reacting, uh, just go back to the car. Yeah. And we slowly drag them back out to the car. And at that point, as the handler starts leaving with the dog, I'll get the decoy. I tell the decoy, like, hey, make fun of the dog's mom. Yeah. Like, we really <laughs> yeah. kind of frustrate him, pick him off, and then put him up, um, and then work some more dogs, bring him back out again. And usually, after one or two of those, they, they get the game. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. So, so I, luckily, like I said, the outliers are the really bad dogs. And then, of course, there's some super super strong dogs that are really nice but most of them kind of fall in the middle so when we're talking about the middle dogs you know what is it that you see that that is also common whether it's control or or uh, some type of common training mistake that 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 bleeds through a lot is there some of those things that you see yeah i, I think the, the next uh, most obvious one to me would be um probably verbal outs or dealing with verbal outs um, sure. verbal outs control control work it, it changes based off of geography and where you're at but usually it, it's probably a verbal out or some type of control in the context of bite work sure sure yeah and that's just some some of these dogs just don't have a verbal out at all uh yeah some some or they do but it's really muddy um, it's, it's not super clear. Yeah. Um, some of them don't have it or some of them have a verbal out, but it comes with, uh, like really high extreme levels of conflict between the handler and the dog. And, um, so, so in that context, you know, I, I just, all around, I, I think that that would probably, those would be the, the top two that sure. proactive dog, reactive decoy, and then outs, um, and all encompassing kind of just control yeah. in bite work. Um, and and here's the good news if somebody's listening to this, and I think you, you and I have really never had a conversation before, but I think we're going to be on the same page, is that if you're having these issues, they're not that hard to fix, and it really doesn't no. take that long. It's just like you had mentioned earlier, changing the picture of the dog. And, and what what I see a lot, you know, especially talking verbal outs, is the dog uh, takes the, you know, is on the bite, and the handler either moves or starts to say something. The dog gets verbal, starts trying to push his way around the decoy, away from the handler. Yep. And those are all training things that probably started way back in Europe and then have continued yep. and stuff. So if you have a dog that is having those issues and in your training group you're not having any luck, then go to a seminar where there's other people or go to a, another agency that watch their dogs. And if their dogs have good outs, you'll be able to start mimicking some of their stuff. But don't just say, my dog doesn't out because that's my next question with you is how many times do you get the, the people who say, you know, my dog won't do X, Y, Z. And in the course of a day or two, working their dog a few times over those days, you show them that their dog will do those. Yeah, that, that, that happens quite frequently. And, and again, not because we have like, you know, magic yeah. or, or some, you know, it, it's uh, just establishing really clear communication with whatever the target is. And, and one of the most, um, to me, rewarding things um, in, the, in those moments. And it's not like the I told you so moments. 
Uh, but it's also when, when that real clear communication is established for that handler and that dog um, with control and bite work, watching how much better the bite work actually gets. Like it, yeah. it, there's been like this fallacy of like, Hey, well, if you have control, too much control, the dog's not gonna, uh, you're going to sacrifice uh, their ability, um, you know, in, in the bite work profile. And to me, I think it, that's the exact opposite. If we have really good, clear control, um, the, the bite work gets better. Uh, the detection work gets better. The tracking gets better across profiles. I absolutely agree. And I mean, and if people aren't really picturing that in their mind, um, I'm sure what you're talking about is uh, the, the dog that we we're talking about that gets real verbal uh, when you're trying to do a release and the dog starts whining or I've seen dogs bark while they're biting, all that crazy stuff. Those are the dogs that are, you know, their bites aren't quite as deep. There, there's so much other stuff on their mind as opposed to trying to get the deepest, hardest bite in the calmest, clearest head exactly. possible that once you take the other baggage away, then they can just concentrate on basically the fight at hand, literally, and, and calm yeah, themselves they're, they're, down. Yeah, they're like, absolutely. It's, they're just like, oh, this is really clear. This is go time. This is woe time. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it intensifies, you know. Yeah. And that I agree with you. That is fun when you see it. And then, then what you see, I'm sure, is on the other end of the leash, you see a handler who at first comes in with a scowl on their face because it's like, I don't want to do this in front of 50 people and have mm. my dog look terrible. Yeah. And then in 10 minutes, their dog looks better than they have before. And then they're, they're relaxed, which is going down the leash. And the dog's mm. relaxed, and it kind of goes back and forth. And it's a fun progression, I'm, I'm sure, to be able to see that a lot. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's, it's super rewarding to, to get those moments, you know, ultimately I, I, I look at it, maybe I'm a little bit of a fur dad, but I was just like, Oh, well like this dog's life, um, just got better. Absolutely. I was like, a, yeah. a lot of times when we're, when we're giving these, these commands, um, particularly in, uh, you know, situations with really high competing motivators, um, it's like we're, you know, speaking two different languages. Yeah. Uh, the dog is like, Hey, I don't, I don't, I don't speak Russian and, uh, <laughs> you're, he's the dog telling you something in English and, it, yeah. and it's just all over the place um, to be able to see like oh look now you guys are both speaking the same language and the dog's like why don't you just say that yeah. and like, oh I got it yeah. <laughs> like, and it's not an uh, argument it's, it's really just a, it's just we're yeah. going to work together on this so absolutely exactly and so then you go through those you know you've worked the, those what's another thing that you're seeing pretty common with uh, dogs um, I, I would say a little bit, it, it's not as much as a dog problem as I think, or I think it can become a dog problem. Uh, but I, a, a lot of handlers, I, I make fun of them and I call it like when we're doing bite work with the dogs, I call them helicopter moms. Yep. Like they, 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 it's like they can't detach the umbilical cord. Like yeah. they won't just let the dog go. They'll, they want to hover over them and talk to them the entire time. Good boy, do yeah. this and good. Yeah. And I was like, let give him a space and let him do do what he's here to do you know yeah. we're while we're in training um of course there's a time where they need to be able to hear uh their handler speaking loud um while they're doing bite work but if, if that becomes what the regular picture is um I, I think there there's probably a little bit more damage than good that will come from that you know i want them to be able to work independently um and not be looking for hey where's mom or dad where are they exactly and when when you're working on that as a problem and you just tell the handler, you know, just just don't say anything for a few minutes. Step back. Let me work this dog. Is it? It's my my impression probably is that it's pretty rare that the dog really cares. 
It's it's just our yeah, own. No, we, we're, we're the ones who stand there and keep thinking. I have to keep talking to the exactly. dog. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's why that's I was like, it, it rarely is a dog problem. Yeah. Um, it, it's usually just a handle. And it's funny, man, because we'll, I'll say, hey, okay, keep your feet right where they are. We'll start working the dog, and then I'm, I'm looking back, and I can see the handler slowly getting closer and closer yeah. <laughs> and inching the way over. Like I'm about to back tie the handler. Yeah, the, so I can walk handler. away, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's relevant, you know, especially in today's standards, too, uh, you know, with body cams and then, you know, these, these idiots like with the ACLU that are attacking the police dogs everywhere. We don't need to have body cameras of a handler whose dog's doing everything right, standing over him saying, good boy, good boy, good boy, because – People don't want to don't don't want to hear that. You know, it just doesn't look good. So yeah. it's a good training thing. So you know, if you try that tonight in your training group, you know, uh, test yourself. And I was guilty of that with one of my detection dogs. I was doing some shell casing searches with him on a new new dog, and we were doing shell casing searches. And my my buddy told me, "Why don't you shut up?" And I didn't even realize it. And it's somebody that I've told that to people a bunch, and didn't even realize myself. So yeah. it's a common common problem hey, that, I, that I get have. it man. I, I I get it because even when uh, my buddy Carlos is working my dog and like uh, he, he was working her I want to say a, a year ago or so maybe more than that I um, mean and we, we're you know putting her through the paces kind of a, a little bit of testing was going on and in my you know I it takes everything in me not to go and be her cheerleader yeah you know like yeah. come on like I gotta consciously fight myself from from doing it, so I, I get it. It's why it's like I laugh with it, the handlers when they're doing it. But I was like, hey, just back up, let them work. They don't need you here. This is this is their job right now. Yeah, let them let them work. And I'm sure another pretty common thing that that you see, you know, when you're especially like when you're really working a dog and wanting to to you know look at the dog's bite and all that. I'm sure you're seeing a lot of dogs that are you know not not real good at biting maybe either half mouth or or not committed the way they are is that a pretty common problem that you're seeing it is it is but to be honest with you um it seems to be progressively getting better yeah i agree Um, with that i agree yeah uh it seems to be progressively getting better even within the last i would say three to four years uh it it seems that you know dog there's of course there's still dogs out there uh that aren't you know biting with a full mouth or they're not they're not countering and uh, punching in or there so i do we do run into it pretty commonly um but uh, it looks positive that the yeah. dogs are, are getting it yeah but for people who are listening to this right now if you have one of those dogs that and and you know it's not they're out there still and i've seen i've seen a few quirky dogs that bite three quarters and bite super hard and just will never go deeper but usually you know, we want the dogs to bite that full mouth. So if, if somebody's listening to this and they have a dog that has a half mouth bite or they're a little chewy or whatever, what are, you know, again, and I'm, I'm calling on your experience because you get a, to deal with it so many times all over the country. What are some of the things you do with those dogs that people could go tonight and do yeah. in their training group? Yeah. Um, so first thing would be um, I, I do equipment checks whenever I do uh, decoy seminars. Um, I'm like, let's do an equipment check. And we, we bring out, you know, the various suits that there are. And some of the suits, uh, you know, whether whether they're older or they're just massive and it's, uh, you know, it's the unit suit. So it might be this massive suit, but then the guy that's decoying is, yeah. you know, five two. Yeah. Um, what ends up happening is the dog actually, they can't get a full grip to where they're, they can feel the decoy. Yeah, yeah. So um, sometimes just 
literally just changing the equipment. Um, the dogs can like, oh, this is this is what we're looking for because when the equipment is that big, I call it, like as a decoy, I call it lying to the dog. Sure. Like we're trying to reinforce when when they're punching in, but they're actually not punching in and we're not feeling anything. So we're we're just saying ow or yes. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's like dishonest decoying. Um, so you know, one would be would be the equipment. Um, two, I would probably say, you know. The, I, th- I think the day it should be the days of the past when it's just the newest guy in the canine unit puts the suit on and he's the decoy. I agree. Um, because in those moments when the dog is biting the decoy, the decoy is the trainer. Yep. Right. You're, yeah. It's more than just taking a bite. So having a decoy that understands and, and has um, some skills and, and, and understanding what we're the target behavior of having a full mouth is um, adjusting that uh, will help fix, you know, the vast majority of the gripping issues as well. Um, and then shameless plug, shameless (laughs) plug, but, um, I've, uh, paired up with Ray Allen and we we have a, a sleeve cover called the GTFO. Um, and it's a leather sleeve cover or a wedge cover. You can put it on the suit, but what happens is when it gets wet, it kind of slides out of the dog's mouth. Um, so we yeah. encourage them to bite down harder. Um, and as we slide it out of their mouth, um, they don't want to lose it. So they then decide to punch in and counter again. So we can use that to get some, some of like those mechanical reps in for the dog. Yeah. Um, and try to make it almost reflexive. Yeah. Um, so those are the, the, probably the three things that I would adjust that I think could really help. I guess we'll, we'll kind of maybe wrap up this whole conversation talking about decoys again, cause you, you touched on it. And, and I think, over you know there's been some some people who've done some great decoy classes and kind of elevated that so it's like you don't see people who you know are you know we don't call them the bite dummies or but you know but whatever uh-huh. anymore how much um of your dog training and your dog psychology and dog knowledge if you know is it 50 percent athletic and 50 percent dog uh you know understanding the dogs or do- understand dog language where where do you put that those things how important is is understanding the dog besides just being able to, to physically move around in a bite suit i i i put understanding the dog being able to read the dog understanding how they're learning at 80 to 90 percent sure. of, of what you're doing as a decoy you know Absolutely. Um, you could be yeah. the most athletic person in the world but if you don't have the ability to to read and understand or or um you know create behaviors that you're trying to create with the dogs uh, it's it's just going to go to waste as a decoy so absolutely um, yeah. I, I think really really diving into that um pays dividends yeah and the reason i ask that is i i see it a lot i see some uh decoys that work really hard but they don't have the basic understanding that they needed you know for of the again going back to dog psychology and understanding timing and understanding you know the the drives that are pushing this dog to do what he's doing and how to mark what we want and and not um so if you're yep. listening if you're listening to this and this stuff sounds a little bit foreign find a decoy school right away because you're you're expending yeah. a lot of energy um, that you don't need to, and you're going to end up with better dogs in your whole unit. And I, yeah. I, I think over the last, you know, like I said, 10, 15 years, I think the quality of decoy has gone way up, but I still think there's room for improvement in a lot of places. And again, I think it's sometimes handed down to you're the new guy, you put the suit on, and you know, they might give you a few things that maybe how to not get hurt, but not really how to, 
to help train the dog and and um, yeah and people like you and carlos and there's a lot of people out there that are are pushing that and uh, hopefully like i said if people are listening to this they'll reach out yeah i think and another another shameless plug it just kind of li- aligns with what <laughs> you're saying um you, you know there, there are these these budgetary constraints and traveling and doing that can be hard i, I recommend first and foremost getting out to uh, as many workshops or seminars or courses as, as you can get to as a decoy um but we also on, on my website we just last month launched uh, a, a police canine decoy specific uh course so it'll kind of run you through some of just the, the fundamentals of being a police canine decoy um and and it, it's more affordable than uh heading out sure and, going to do a course it, it doesn't replace it by any means I, I i think that you absolutely need to have that kind of learning uh but i, I think it should it, it can work complementary too absolutely so i mean if, if again if you're maybe in a smaller agency and you have those budgetary constraints do you know do an online course do something and then maybe you can hook up with one of the larger agencies near you that maybe they've been to some decoy schools and you can absolutely. trade ideas and, and start getting at it but I just that's that's just something common. It's kind of, but my soapbox thing is that uh, I, it benefits the whole industry when when the decoys are all better. And I, believe it or not, I, and I, you've probably seen it too. But not too long ago, I was at an agency, and none of the handlers, not one, had ever ever put in a bite suit on. And they had a few people yeah. who were trying to come into the unit. They'd throw them in the bite suit. The handlers were actually kind of scared to put a bite suit on. I was like, and and <laughs> not surprisingly, the quality of the dog teams was not very good. And and it was like you guys mm-hmm. were missing, you know, the, the the very basic part of of your unit and understanding this. So it's it's more important yeah. than some people, you know, you know, give it credit for. No, absolutely. And and that last point of advice in that uh, that I would give is like, hey, if there's someone at your agency or in your unit that is into decoying hey maybe if there are budgetary constraints all the handlers throw in a, a couple of extra dollars um, yeah. and send them to go do these decoy courses like if they're into it they're going to be even better at it like exactly. if they're just doing it because they have to do it there it is what it is but you want the guy or the gal that is like hey i'm into this decoying yeah that's and that's a great idea i mean help help them out a little bit go to go to walmart and ask for a donation do something but Help them out. And it'll, it'll it'll improve everybody. And then usually the uh, you know once somebody starts decoying a little bit better, then just that peer pressure will put put it on uh, exactly. a lot of other people to start paying a little more attention. You know. Yeah. So, well, I think these are all this is all great information. I have no doubt this is going to generate some questions and stuff. So, um, if it's good with you, uh, we'll take some questions. We'll get, uh, you know, you can email me any questions you have and we'll get you back on the show and we'll kind of go over some of the questions that we get from this uh, podcast, if that's good with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd, I'd love to come back on and just, again, big thanks to you for uh, having me on, man. I, I don't take it lightly. Well, so, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. How, how do uh, how do people get a hold of you, Michael? Uh, yeah, you can, grassrootsk9.com um, is probably the, the easiest way. We have contact uh, forms on there. I'm on social media, uh, Instagram, canine underscore Mike, um, or just my direct email is michael at grassrootscanine.com. And and all those will have some uh, information about some of your seminars and where people can uh, maybe find you closer closer than going to yep, Canada, absolutely. right? So, yeah, absolutely. Canada in the winter. Are you a hockey fan? <laughs> 
I'm not. I think I'm the only Canadian that's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's all right. I was going to give you a hard time about the Toronto uh, team there. But... <laughs> Well, thanks. Uh, we'll get this uh, out. We'll get some, if, again, if you're listening to this and you have some, some questions on this or anything else for Michael, shoot me an email. The email is uh, in the show notes here. And uh, we'll get Michael back on here and pick his brain some more. It's always fun having guys like this that are out working and, and working a lot of dogs because we can pick their brains and get a lot of information. So, Michael, I appreciate all your time today. Yeah, no, thank you again for having me on, man. I look forward to doing it again. Thanks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of this uh, podcast. Hopefully you guys are liking my new podcast. The format's basically the same as the old one. I can get uh, just about anybody on this show. If you're looking for specific guests, just let me know. I'll reach out to them and see if I can get them on the show. Um, or if you have a specific topic or questions, just uh, shoot me an email. The email's in the show notes, and I you know, I value all of the listener feedback that I get here. Um, I've been asking the last couple of shows, if you guys don't mind, uh, just take a quick second at the end of the show to rate this podcast. Uh, just by putting any rating in there, you don't have to type anything. Any rating at all will help uh, this podcast come up on the search engines a little bit quicker since it's still kind of a new podcast compared to my old one. And finally, uh, I want to thank my sponsors again for this show. So same sponsors as last uh, show. I have catsplatinum.com. That's Bob Eden's uh, website. Look to, look to catsplatinum.com. They have all the stuff you need if you're looking for a new or an existing uh, platform for your canine record keeping. So Bob's been doing this for more than 30 years. They were the first company that did online canine record keeping. So he's got it down pretty good. It's always coming out with new stuff. Customer service is outstanding. When you uh, call customer service, you'll end up talking to Bob directly. So you'll talk to Bob Eden, who's been around this industry for a very long time and very passionate about it. So check out catsplatinum.com for their record-keeping software. He's always, a lot of times got specials, and you can do a trial uh, to try different uh, features and see if they work for you to switch over or to start using it. So catsplatinum.com. And then again, uh, Demone Bite Suits. Demone Bite Suits are an outstanding bite suit. It's a great uh, option for you to, to look at. Um, I like Demone Bite Suits a lot. They're very flexible. They're, uh, I think uh, they're very good for decoying. They protect you, but you can still uh, get the feedback from the dog that you're looking for. So if you've never tried a Demone Bite Suit, you know, check around your training group. I'm sure somebody probably has one. Put it on, just feel the weight of it, and I, I think you'll like it. I, I've tried lots of different bite suits, but... Uh, that's the one that I actually personally use still is uh, Demone Bite Suits. So if you go to DemoneBiteSuits.com, they have a 5% discount code. If you use the uh, co coupon code K9TrainingPC, you'll get 5% off your order. And they're really easy to work with. Go to that website, DemoneBiteSuits.com, and they'll walk you through uh, everything you need to order through your department if you're going to do it that way for a purchase order and everything else. So real easy easy uh, process to order a bite suit. You can get it specifically in your size, your color, however you want it. And the turnaround time is not really all that long to get one. So I know a lot of people who have uh, used DemoneBiteSuits.com and been happy with their experience. And then finally, uh, Complete Canine Training is uh, in Colorado. Uh, Chris Pelly has, uh, they've got dogs there. They're doing training. They've got green dogs and certified dogs doing a lot of different stuff um, right out of uh, their, their kennel at uh, completecaninetraining.com. So that website is completecaninetraining.com.
training and it's a complete and then canine spelled out c-a-n-i-n-e training.com go to that website and you can check out all the stuff that's going on at complete canine training they have uh dogs and courses and uh they're setting up seminars and all kinds of stuff so check out complete canine training.com and again i thank these sponsors they're making this show possible so be safe out there and i look forward to any comments or feedback you have on this thank you